Welcome to NSN Daily. Chris Murray, I'm Brian Samudio, Anthony Resnick uh, directing us behind the scenes. A lot to get to today. Murray's Mailbag, which is every single Wednesday. Your questions and Chris's answers. Uh, first off, uh, you know, this is something, Chris, we were hoping we weren't going to have to deal with this year, but, uh, you know, it's it's kind of tough. Uh, COVID-19 has uh, shown up in a high school program and uh, it's Douglas. The Douglas Tigers have a positive test and it has put the Douglas versus Devonnie Ranch game into jeopardy. Uh, this week, but uh, we there there may be a way for them to play on Saturday. We're hoping and we're hearing both in you and I, you and I have been contacted and talked to people that uh, if they can get through some negative tests, they may be able to play Saturday. This is supposed to be our Friday Night Rivals game of the week, but of course, uh, COVID test certainly trumps that. This is why the governor's office mandated that there be COVID testing if there was going to be a contact sports season like football. And as we've seen, this is our first known positive test among Northern Nevada football players. Positive test uh, was taken on Monday. So the typical rules are 10 day quarantine for anybody who had exposure to that person. Uh, and the other thing you can do is you can do a seven day quarantine if you have a negative test five days after most recent exposure. So that would be potentially Friday. If, if uh, Douglas gets through its testing on Friday with all negative tests, they can knock down that quarantine period down to seven days. The last time they had contact with this person was last Friday when they played at Bishop Minogue. So as you mentioned, that could open up the possibility that they'd be able to play this Douglas Damani Ranch game uh, on Saturday, probably around four o'clock uh, at Damani Ranch. So uh, still some hurdles to be left, but uh, you know, I wouldn't say that game has been canceled, has can, uh, been completely ruled out, but very, very unlikely that it would be played Friday, the timeline just doesn't work there. So um, like, uh, it's the first positive that we've seen. And, uh, you know, I think Douglas and, and Washoe County and the NIA and everybody involved has been doing a very good job of trying to make sure that they're going to do the contact tracing and they're going to make sure everybody is, is healthy going into a potential game on Saturday. But, um, you know, certainly something that uh, isn't completely unexpected. I mean, there were going to be hurdles when you have this many players and coaches all in the same area in a contact sport, you're probably going to have some positive cases. And uh, hopefully the teams are able to get through negative tests this week and, and play on Saturday and just have to bump it back a day. I mean, yeah, realistically, I don't want to be negative here. Realistically, you're talking about, you know, about probably a thousand athletes, if not more, a thousand athletes and coaches that are in contact with each other and that uh, work together. And granted, they're trying to socially distance and stay away from each other as, as much as they possibly can. Uh, I, I don't want to say the word inevitable, but, uh, you know, it, I, I am very pleasantly surprised that it took you know, two weeks of, of this sort of thing to go on to find one case of it that has been that has been reported. It's it's kind of a tightrope, though, that we're going to have to walk over the next uh, month, month and a half if, if they're going to continue uh, continue this football season. Yeah, for sure. Like you mentioned, I mean, probably not inevitable because maybe you are able to get through it without any positive tests, but uh, there are things you're going to have to navigate. And I think any games played this year is a positive for these players and coaches to be able to get back out there, get some film out if you're trying to be a kid getting a scholarship or something of that nature. Um, just have as much of a normal season as you can have. Nothing's going to be normal about playing a five game season, having to be tested every week. Uh, you know, not being able to play all the league rivals that you would normally play. So if each of these teams get three or four games in and then get to play in kind of the bowl season game the last week, uh, April 9th and 10th, I think they'll call it a success. You know, as long as nobody gets seriously ill, as long as nobody is hospitalized, as long as they're able to get out there, feel like they're normal, play a couple of games and just get in some some of the work that was missed this last fall. Uh, I think they'll be really, really happy. But, you know, Douglas has taken the right steps. You know, they've been very transparent with everything that's gone on. Obviously, they haven't named the kid's name and you don't, you know, that's not necessary or mandated, uh, but they've been very open about, yeah, we had a positive test. It was on Monday. You know, we're, we're still working 
Uh, everything is shut down right now in terms of practice or team activities. So I think that would be one of the, the cons. If everybody does test negative Friday, they probably only have that one practice day on Friday before playing a game on Saturday, which is not ideal. But um, you know, we were going to have situations like this. And, and so far up to this point, I think it's been handled really, really well as both teams try and make sure that they can get on the field this weekend and as healthy and as positive a manner as possible. Yeah, I, I mean, not to go back straight to the X's and O's, which we as as broadcasters sometimes have to analyze. It is certainly not ideal for Ernie Monfaletto, the head coach at Douglas High School and his squad to go, all right, we're going to get one day of practice and go head to head with Ethan Culpin, who's one of the top quarterbacks in the region and do it on the road against Sean Dupree, who's got such a great football mind. Um, yeah, I, I think you're right when it comes to when it comes to getting some sort of normalcy, getting a season in. How much do you really think at the end of the day this affects recruiting? Um, in, in our state, it has definitely been different than a lot of states. A lot of states have had a football season. They've had kids be able to play their their full year. How much do you think that affects recruiting? Does, does a, a Power 5 school or, or even a team like Nevada kind of go, well, you know, we don't know what he did his senior year, what she did her senior year. They only got to play X amount of games. How much do you think that affects you know, the future of, of a young athlete, or does it, considering so many of these athletes get to play in these, uh, you know, these outer, you know, out of high school leagues and camps and that sort of thing? There is an impact for sure. As you mentioned, a lot of the recruiting nowadays are done in these camps where you go to individual schools or you just kind of go to the circuit on the West Coast where schools will come in and see you. So a lot of those things have been canceled as well. And when you're not in a huge city that coaches are normally traveling through like Reno, um, you are going to be impacted by not having a lot of film your senior season or your junior season. I think the junior class is probably who it hurts the most because that's usually where you get recruited. It's that junior class film that now a lot of these juniors don't really have to put out there to these other programs. I'll give you one guy, for example, uh, Hunter Parsons, a Spanish spring senior. He's a kind of a rush end outside linebacker. He signed to play with Montana State. He had to go up there on his own unofficial visit, pay his way. And when Montana State announced his signing, they said if he had been able to play his senior season, he most likely would have been signing with the Mountain West School. So the fact that this kid who's six foot three, 225 pounds, you know, he had 51 tackles, nine tackles for lost five sacks last year. If he had had a regular season in the fall, you know, starting in uh, October and then with the signing day in December, if he went out there and had 15 sacks at that size with that kind of production, he's a guy who maybe gets an offer from a Nevada or a Fresno State. UNLV or San Diego State so he's still going to get an opportunity in college going to Montana State which is an FCS school but potentially that guy you know loses an opportunity to play at the highest level of college football because of the circumstances so very much unintended consequences you know everybody would have loved to have had a full fall season but um, you know I think the right decision was made to try and push it off and hope things got better unfortunately things didn't get much better um, so that's why we're having a shortened season this spring but Malcolm McClure who's a you know linebacker junior at Bishop no he doesn't have any college scholarship offers um, but this guy was a beast last year I mean eight sacks uh, as a sophomore had he had a normal junior season and maybe pushed him up to 12 sacks he could be in talks with power five schools right now, rather than looking for his first scholarship offer. So there's definitely an impact, but a lot of the people in our area have signed, uh, you know, lower level schools, not a ton of FBS guys, um, but, you know, not, not being able to have that film to send out the teams and kind of recruit yourself to those teams. That's a big, big deal because that's what kind of what you have to do in a city like Northern Nevada, Reno Sparks. A lot of times you're the one who has to be doing your own recruiting by sending your film to, to schools. And if you don't have that film from the season, it's really hard to do. How much do you think before we go to break 
since we, we've, had, we've had this conversation casually just talking in meetings and stuff, how much of a difference do you think it makes between the city schools and rural schools? I, it's tough enough to get recruited when you go to a rural school in a, in a state like Nevada, where uh, you know high schools are so far apart from each other. I talked to colleagues on the East Coast, and they'll go, you went how far to go cover a high school football game? And I, we, we drove out to Lowry, which is two and a half hours away. We drove to you know, Churchill County, which is an hour away. And they think I'm crazy because we will go do that. Well, you know why we do that? Because that's what we do here in the, in the West, in Nevada. That's what we do. Um, it's tough enough to get recruited when you're going to a Churchill County, which is a state champion caliber football program. But what if you're playing at Spring Creek? You're playing at Elko. You're playing at, in at Lowry and Winnemucca, uh, a Fernley, a Fallon, Hawthorne. You know, maybe you're playing at a, very, a smaller, smaller school. How much more of a difference do you think it is if you're a high school kid who's got some talent and there's talent out there, there's a recruited out of Eureka, out of Candy, there's a kid out there who should be playing in the Pac-12. But how much of a difference do you think it is between playing in a city like Reno and maybe if you're out in Fallon? Big deal. And that's even pre-pandemic. I mean, you look at somebody like Jace Billingsley, who was at Lowry High School out there in Winnemucca, and this is a guy who made it to the NFL but he had to go to Eastern Oregon to play his college ball. Like this is a kid who was clearly good enough to play at Nevada in the Mountain West, probably any Mountain West school. I mean, he was a great player at Eastern Oregon and then had a stint with the Lions and the Patriots. If that kid uh, had gone to Reno High, maybe he gets a scholarship to a school like Reno. So you definitely have to chart a different path unless you're a ridiculous athlete. Like if you're a Josh Maga, yeah, I mean, even though you're out in Fallon an hour away from Reno, you're going to have some people interested in you. But that's why I think the affluence of the parenting situation that you, you know, you're, that you're raised in has a huge impact because you are, are able to go to these camps, which a lot of times you have to provide your own transportation to. Uh, you have a parent who could take a couple of weeks off during the summer and drive you to all these different places where there are, are going to be college coaches. Like a lot of people in more rural towns don't have that opportunity. So that's definitely a big, big deal. You go back, uh, you know, to the 1980s. I remember Rob Ritchie and Sean Bosky both moved from Hawthorne into Reno so that their kids would see more, be more seen. And both of those guys ended up making it to Major League Baseball in part because they had to make that difficult decision of moving their kid away from where they were growing up and going to a bigger city. We've seen people even leave Reno. Uh, you know, you, all those kids who went to Folsom uh, over the last couple of years, the Nagata brothers who are respectively went to Clemson and Arizona State. Uh, Caden Bennett, who ended up signing with Boise State and then came here to Nevada, now at Sac State. Um, you know, these are guys who grew up in northern Nevada and probably would have loved to play for Spanish Springs and Reed, who they were zoned to play with. But they went to Folsom to get that different caliber of exposure. And, you know, with one guy going to Clemson and the other guy going to Arizona State, you can't really blame them. So uh, there's definitely that impact of, of, you know, just coming from this area that's not as highly recruited. Um, there are going to be more difficulties. But, you know, going being anywhere, even if you're, you're in L.A., like Romeo Dubs wasn't really highly recruited because of the school he was at. So there are certain pockets that just kind of get overlooked. And I think Reno is being less overlooked because some of the talent that's been coming out of northern Nevada of late. But it's certainly not an area where there are going to be a ton of college recruiters who are coming in here on a weekly basis. So unless Nevada really makes a move on you early, uh, kind of like they did with Ashton Hayes and some other recruits, you're probably not going to get these other schools come and take a look just because if the local school is not offering you, why, why am I coming in? So, um, you know, Nevada kind of plays a big role in that, that they want to offer these kids probably, but they know if they do it, they're opening up the window for other schools to come in and potentially take them away. Yeah, I hope we're not getting to the point now where if you're a kid that grows up in Reno and you get an offer from Nevada, you kind of go up, oh, that's in my pocket. Okay, I've got my scholarship offer 
and now I can look elsewhere. I, I, I hope that we're not to that point where someone then goes, okay, now I'm waiting for Arizona. Now I'm waiting for Oregon State. I'm waiting for that power five because that's, that's one of the disappointing things I see on social media is you, you see these kids announcing their scholarships, and I, I, I don't blame them. I understand that. Oh, I now have my 14th offer or whatever it is. One kid is hoping to get a chance to walk on a junior college that's playing next to you. And, and you oh, now I have my 13th power five offer or something like that. It's, it's a weird world that we live with in the first place and then COVID showed up. So uh, yeah, we'll definitely keep an eye on this uh, Douglas case. And uh, yeah, the transparency by Douglas High School and they are jumping through the correct hoops. Uh, I do applaud them for that uh, very, very much so. But uh, hopefully this Douglas and Damani Ranch game will be able to be played uh, on Saturday. And that's what we are hearing is that they want to play on Saturday. Uh, coming up next here on NSN Daily, a, a fun little uh, three key, what is it, three steps or keys to Kevin Bacon thing about the NCAA tournament and mm -hmm. the University of Nevada when it comes to so many connections to the big dance this year, even though Nevada is not dancing. Uh, there are plenty of uh, the former silver and blue uh, in the field. We'll talk about that next. Well, the big dance starts this week. Unfortunately, Nevada, uh, Nevada uh, not uh, able to go to the party this year, which, uh, you know, it's, it's good when you kind of look at it and go, man, they should be there. I like the feeling of that a program should be in the tournaments and, you know, and not uh, not the other way around. But uh, uh, plenty of ties to the uh, NCAA tournament this year. And, uh, Chris, you really have to start off, of course, uh, with Muss in Arkansas and everybody that uh, uh, helped him get this team very quickly to uh, to a pretty high level. I mean, Arkansas, despite the you know, losing in the uh, in the tournament in their their conference tournament, so this this Arkansas team is pretty hot. Twenty two and six overall, the third seed uh, in their brackets. Uh, they were actually one seed off being a number two seed. They were basically the number nine team in the field, which the NCAA released. So kind of got edged out by Houston as number two seed. And two years into your tenure, to be at that position is awesome. Now they got to go out and win games. Uh, you know, if they lose the number 14 seed Colgate in the first round, Colgate team that's only one lost game, uh, lost one game this whole year, uh, Razorback fans are not going to be happy. Like getting to the NCAA tournament from the SEC is not really an accomplishment. You got to go out in there and win some games. So uh, the task still ahead is pretty strong, but they're in a really good position. And as you mentioned, you brought a pretty large contingency of people from Nevada down to Arkansas. You look at Anthony Ruda, who is an assistant coach at Nevada. He's their director of operations. Hayes Myers is a special assistant to the head coach. Michael Musselman, who worked for his dad here, director of recruiting, and Pat Ackerman, a recruiting coordinator. So all five of those guys combined were at Nevada at one point, and now they're down there in Arkansas. In total, I was able to find 12 guys who had ties to the Wolfpack, either as a coach or a player who's uh, going to be in this year's NCAA tournament, five of the 12 at Arkansas. So yeah, Coach Musselman's done a really, really good job there. His name's already being attached to other jobs like Minnesota and Indiana and, and jobs of that nature. So you know he's doing well. Um, but I, I think he's going to get a big extension to stay at Arkansas long term. And we'll see if his team can make a run. I think Sweet 16 is kind of the bare minimum for it to be called a successful NCAA tournament, but would not be shocked if this team gets to the Elite Eight or the Final Four. It's really that good. Yeah, I, I love what I've seen out of this team. I think I think he's a couple of pieces away from being able to contend for a national championship, but I'm, I'm not going to put the Razorbacks uh, up, you know, up on the shelf just yet. I think I think you're right. I think Sweet 16 is is the minimum, uh, and, and that's the type of expectation that Musk brings to the table. I mean, he expects to get to that sort of level, whether or not Pac fans still have a, a bitter taste in their mouth because of the, the way the exit was, and you know he, he's responsible for. Nevada getting to the level of being able to bring in a coach of the level of Steve Alford. And, you know, I think they have to thank him for that. 
Um, whether this is a team that can make the Elite Eight or the Final Four, I'm not sure if they can make it uh, just yet. It is funny to see um, Arkansas fans on social media, and I'm not trying to stir up a storm in Fayetteville, but uh, as they refer to Colgate as a toothpaste university, uh, as one of their fans talked about, I, oh, this is a team that's in the NCAA tournament. You can't take them lightly. But uh, yeah, I, th I think uh, I think Muss is sticking around in Fayetteville for a little while. I don't, I don't see him leaving to go somewhere else. Big time, I think. I mean, there are deep, deep pockets in Arkansas. Don't make fun of Fayetteville. Uh, there are some very, very deep pockets there. And uh, I, th I think they're going to keep Muss around and uh, keep the Musselman family there for a while. Um, right, let's let's talk about Johnny Jones and what's going on. Uh, Brandon Chambers at uh, down at uh, Texas State, the, the, the Mighty Tigers going in with a roar. Yeah, they won the SWAC tournament, so they got the automatic berth. Uh, really cool for him to be able to do that. Johnny Jones was obviously a part of the Sweet 16 team, associate head coach at Nevada in 2018. He was hired by Texas Southern immediately after that year, so this is his third year there and his first NCAA tournament berth with the Tigers. It's his third team that he's taken to the NCAA tournament. He did it at LSU, he did it at North Texas, so uh, he's very used to it. And one of three guys with Nevada ties on that program, you mentioned Brandon Chambers. He was director of operations at Nevada. He's an assistant coach under coach Jones and then Johnny Jones's son John is a senior on the team he's averaging uh, four points per game so doesn't play a ton but has been in the rotation Johnny Jones actually won his 350th career game in that SWAC title game uh, championship and they needed some uh, some really good play in the the SWAC uh, semifinal uh, Mike Weathers who's a transfer from Oklahoma State hit a game tying three-pointer at the buzzer uh, in regulation to send that one into overtime and then he hit a game-winning three-pointer with about 15 seconds left to go so very easily could have lost in that semifinal, but that's the magic of March. He hit a couple of big shots, and now the Tigers are on into the, the NCAA tournament. He's one of three coaches from Nevada uh, who's head coaching a team in the tournament this year, the other one being Dennis Gates. Dennis was a, an assistant under David Carter uh, for a couple of years from 2009 to 2011, then went to Florida State where he was an assistant coach for about a decade got the Cleveland state job last June. And that place was a dumpster fire. They had had four straight losing seasons. They were 10 and 21 the year prior. Um, they had lost a ton of guys to the transfer portal, which is why they made the coaching change in June, which is really, really late. Two years later, Dennis Gates has them in the NCAA tournament, 19 and seven. They're a number 15 seed against number two, Houston. He's been back-to-back -back coach, uh, horizon coach of the year. Uh, I think he's going to be probably at the power five level this next year. I would not be surprised if Dennis Gates uh, gets a new job this offseason. I wouldn't be surprised if I were UNLV's AD. I'd probably go after Dennis Gates with them losing TJ Altsoberger to Iowa State. I think Dennis Gates is a, a terrific, terrific coach, and I think he's going to do a terrific job at wherever he goes next after what he's done at Cleveland State. But focusing on the here and now, he's got a yeah. number two seed, Houston. And I think, you know, Houston's a good team, but it's not like one of those blue bloods. If you're picking a number two seed, you want the one that's also from a mid major conference. So we'll see if they can spring the upset. We'll get to Altsburger in a second. A little foreshadowing going on there, but uh, I, you know, I, I, one of the teams I'm rooting for, and I always like to root for for an underdog, uh, UMBC, uh, and all that stuff. You know, we, we root for these guys all the time. UC Santa Barbara. How about the Gauchos and Devereaux Ramsey? I mean, you're talking about a guy who was recruited so heavily, gets to Nevada, really can't find his spot, goes to UC Santa Barbara, and he's in the tournament. Yeah, third year starting for the Gauchos, so he's been a big part of that re uh, kind of rebuilding of the program, uh, playing for Joe Pasternak, who's another guy who UNLV could hire. Like, he probably is the favorite. Joe's done a really good job at UCSB. Um, Deverell starting point guard, averaging eight points, four assists, uh, one and a half steals per game, 40% shooting. So 
Uh, yeah, really good player. Uh, he was kind of a favorite of mine because he's like five foot nine. When I can look a guy eye to eye, I'm really happy. Uh, and I actually remember talking to him the day he put his name in the transfer portal and was leaving. I was out there covering a spring football practice and I was walking on campus and I ran into DeVerl and I'm like, hey, you want to talk about your transfer? And a lot of guys would be like, no. And we talked for like 20 minutes and he was very enthusiastic about his time at Nevada, even though he transferred after one year, everything that he learned with the Wolfpack, just wanted an opportunity to go out there and play. And he wasn't going to get that at Nevada. So really cool to see him play so well for Santa Barbara. And this is a good team. This is a 22 and four team. They won the big West regular season and tournament titles. They're going against number five Creighton and I'm picking UCSB to win that game. Like Creighton's a solid program, but you know, they've kind of been up and down the last couple of weeks. So I think UCSB and DeVerle Ramsey can make a nice little run. And if you are watching that Gauchos game and you see a little five foot nine point guard, you can, you know, remember him from his one year that he was with the Wolfpack. All right. Who am I missing from, uh, from your list of 12? Yeah, so there are only two others, and they were both assistant coaches on Eric Musselman's first team at Nevada. Jermaine Kimbrough uh, is an assistant at Loyola Chicago, so the team that knocked Nevada out of the Sweet 16 in 2018. Uh, and then Jay Morris is an assistant at San Diego State. Both of those guys were on that first Eric Musselman staff. They weren't retained after one year. I, I specifically like Jermaine quite a bit because he was told after the conference tournament uh, by Coach Musselman that we're not retaining you. And he could have left and went and looked for his own you know, next job, but he stayed with Nevada during that entire CBI run, which was three weeks long. So instead of looking out for himself, he's like, I'm going to finish the job at Nevada. Very fortunately, after they won the CBI, he got a job at Wyoming, uh, was there for a number of years, and now is at Loyola Chicago. So uh, Jermaine's a guy that I've always rooted for. Uh, I just think the fact that he stuck with the Wolfpack, even though he was basically fired, uh, and stuck with his team for that CBI run, I think that was a really, really cool gesture by him. He helped Nevada get to the CBI, and then he helped them win it. But uh, he's got a good squad there as well. Uh, I thought Loyola kind of got a, a bad seed. I mean, they got an eight seed, which, you know, yeah. the around Georgia Tech, you probably beat them. But after that, you got to go against Illinois, which is a really tough draw for a team that's literally in the top 20 of the nation. Um, so, you know, they didn't get the best seed, but, uh, you know, they, they've got Sister Jean out there. I did read yesterday that Sister Jean will be in attendance. Yep. Uh, and that will be really cool to see. I, I We got to meet her and uh, just an amazing, amazing I, I young woman because she's got such a such a young soul to her. She was in a wheelchair when we met her uh, before that matchup against Loyal Chicago a few years ago. And she actually gave us a little balloon rose to give to Eric Musselman to give to his daughter. And uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty, pretty spectacular, but uh, yeah. Uh, let's get to TJ Altelberger. Um, uh, kind of a, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if it's going to be a very memorable time at UNLV. It's, he moves on and goes, yeah, I mean, he's got ties to Iowa State. I understand it. It's a business. And if you've got ties somewhere else, then you can take over, you know, a power five job. See ya. Yeah, I mean, he was going to take the job if it was offered. I guess I'm just a little – when he got the job, he said the goal was to win a national championship at UNLV. Everything was in place to get them back to the national championship game, which obviously they were able to do under Jerry Tarkanian. So if that's your message, then there isn't a better program out there for you. If this is a job that you think you can win a national championship at, either A – if you're lying about that, don't say it at the press conference because that's the expectation you're going to be held to. Or B, you know, if that's the possibility at this job, then why are you going to Iowa State, which is a fine job, but it's kind of like a mid-level job in the Big 12. Now, he's got a lot of roots there. That's home for him. You know, he was a longtime assistant there under Fred Hoiberg and had a lot of success and recruited a lot of the players that made that program successful under Coach Hoiberg before he went to the Bulls. But, um, you know, it's just disappointing to hear that in a press conference if you're a UNLV fan 
and then see this result two years later. Now UNLV gets about a $3 million buyout, which is nice for them. And I think they could potentially upgrade the position. I think TJ Altsberger is a good coach, but I don't know that he, I, I said when he was hired, I would, I didn't, that coaching change didn't make any sense because I didn't think he was a better coach than Marvin Menzies, the guy they had in place who they fired after three years. You look two years into his tenure, you know, they're a game under 500. Uh, you look at the roster now compared to the one that he got two years ago. I think Marvin Menzies left him a better roster than he's going to be leaving for whoever replaces him. So in the end, this could be a good thing for UNLV. And I think they're going to have a lot of interest in the job and they're going to have a lot of money to spend with this $3 million buyout. Um, you know, I, I just think you have to be disappointed if, if you're UNLV because it's just another reboot. You know, UNLV yeah. just continues to reboot, reboot, reboot. I mean, this is a team that hasn't been to the NCAA tournament since 2013. This is a team that hasn't even been to the Mountain West Tournament semifinals since 2014. You're talking about seven years without a Mountain West Tournament semifinal for a program that fancies itself, you know, the flagship of the Mountain West, which Coach Altsberger did mention at his press conference in, the, uh, you know, his first appearance with the UNLV, and thinks that it's a national brand. Like, this program has been under so much tumult the last five, six, seven, eight years, basically since Lon Kruger left uh, to go to Oklahoma, that that needs to be settled, and they need to find a long-term coach for the Mountain West to be as good as the Mountain West can be. Now, they had that guy in Chris Beard. Unfortunately, they were only able to keep him two weeks before he went to Texas Tech. But this is a huge hire for UNLV Athletics. This is their marquee program, and they continue to make missteps with that program. They need to go out and find a person who's going to be there and build this thing up to what it can potentially be, which is a top 25 caliber team. Haven't been to the Mountain West semifinals in the tournament since 2014 in your building. Yeah. Wow. Um, we're going to kick back to uh, Mountain West coaches here in a, in a few minutes. So we'll talk about an article that you've put on NevadaSportsNet.com. We'll talk about how attractive that job at UNLV is going to be. Murray's mailbag. We got to jump to it. We got a lot of time to, to burn up in that because there's some great questions this week. That's coming up next. It is Wednesday. That means we do the television version of Murray's mailbag every single Sunday. Chris opens up the mailbag generously and on uh, his Twitter account, at by Chris Murray. If you're not following, you're not getting the latest information in Northern Nevada sports. Um, how many words this time, Chris? I always ask you. It was around 3,500. I don't have an exact number for you this time, but it was about average what we've been doing of late. I don't need an exact number. You can you always always can give me something in, in relative terms. Uh, we're we're very very casual at, on the television side at Nevada Sportsnet. Uh, let's start up with Nevada Madness. Um, who finishes higher in the overall Mountain West standings the next year, Nevada basketball or football? I was asked this in October, and I picked football, and that uh, ended up being true. Uh, football ended up third, and basketball was fifth. And I'm going to stick with football. I'd like to see uh, things play out a little bit more on the basketball side. Do they add some more recruits, A.J. Brahma being a noticeable transfer that they could add? Does Brian Dutcher, San Diego State's coach, go to Minnesota? Does Craig Smith, uh, Utah State's coach, Go to Utah. Like there are a lot of things that still have to happen that could push Nevada up the board. But I, I think football is going to finish first or second in the Mountain West this year. And I think basketball is probably second or third. So I would lean football. But ask me again, I guess, when we get a little bit closer to the season, when we have a little bit more intel. But I will note that football's schedule is going to be pretty difficult. I mean, you're talking about yeah. a lot of difficult road games that I think people are like, OK, we went seven and two last year. We're just going to be automatically better because everybody's coming back. Like there is a chance that Nevada does fall back a little bit next year just because the road schedule and the overall schedule is much more difficult than it was this year. So that's worth noting. But if I had to put my money somewhere right now, I would say football has a little bit better season than basketball in terms of where it finishes in the Mountain West standings. Yeah, I mean, that football schedule, you got Kansas State on the road, you got Cal. There, there, are, some, there are some good names there. 
But at the same time, Nevada has a chance to really build a nice resume should that should it all come together. Uh, let's go to Nick uh, at Nick Pribilla, Pribilla, Pribilla. Sorry, Nick, if I'm pronouncing it wrong. I do appreciate all your questions. Usually have great questions. Uh, Chris, outside of UNLV, what Mountain West basketball school do you think Wolfpack fans dislike the most? And I'm sorry, it's a slam dunk if you ask me. And I think you and I agree. I think it's Utah State. I think you could argue San Diego State just because San Diego State's fans can be pretty annoying and they have absolutely dominated the Wolfpack of late. So uh, I think they can get a little bit mouthy. But I think I just I go back to that Utah State game in 2018-19 uh, when Caleb Martin dunked over Sam Merrill and they called it a, a charge rather than a block. And then it led to the fire extinguisher situation. And I just think there's still a lot of bad blood from that whole incident. So I would say Utah State is probably uh, right up there, a little bit behind UNLV, a little bit ahead of San Diego State in terms of fan bases that kind of mix oil and vinegar with the Wolfpack fans. It's Utah State. It's mm -hmm. Utah State by far. And I say that with the utmost respect for the Utah State fan base because win or lose, no matter if it was Stu running the show or whoever, the fans show up and they show up and they are fired up. And the I believe that we will win chance, the spectrum is a – very difficult place to play and it's because of the fans um but that's easy for another fan base to suddenly dislike uh but yeah i think it's utah state because it goes back to the whack days it goes back so much further than this uh but uh, yeah i think it's utah state and but at the same time i'll say it because of respect not because of dislike i think it's respect because you know it, it's a team that you know night in and night out when nevada's been at their best nick vizdik has had a tough time beating utah state at the spectrum, you know, the, the Martin twins did, couldn't beat Utah did did not beat Utah state their senior year at the spectrum. It's a, uh, it's a tough place to play uh, at the fight and Rue, Aru Nevada uh, is the uh, Twitter handle is Luke Babbitt still playing professionally. Uh, no, he's not. No, not that I know of. Uh, he played last with the Miami heat a couple of years ago and he hasn't played since then only 32 years old. So he's still a pretty young guy. It's gotta be pretty crazy to basically turn 30 and then have your career be over. Like, you know, that's usually the beginning of a lot of people's yeah, yeah. What do you do with the rest of your life? There's a guy who made about $12 million in the NBA. So I'm sure he saved a lot of that and is a very good place financially. But um, it's just an interesting thing uh, that athletes go through that their careers are kind of dried up uh, by the time they're 30. She has a couple of kids, so I'm sure he's spending a lot of time with them. I believe last I heard he lives up in the Portland area. Uh, I think that's where he met his wife. So um, I'd like to reach out to Luke and maybe get him on the show and kind of see what he's up to. I know he's a fairly shy guy. He's, uh, you know, doesn't necessarily like doing media stuff all that much. But uh, yeah, I think the, the last time he played a pro game would have been with the Heat in 2018. So I uh, haven't seen him resurface since then. I'm sure if he wanted to go play overseas somewhere, he could make six figures and he'd be absolutely uh, dominant. Uh, just, you know, when you have young kids and you've got a nice little bank account, there isn't necessarily the appeal of let's go over to Spain or France or Italy and, and, and play basketball. So we'll see what his future holds. I know when he was at Nevada, he wanted to get into kind of uh, upper management with an NBA team. I don't know if that's still an aspiration, but uh, he's a very talented and very smart kid. So I'm sure, uh, I guess not a kid anymore if he's in his 30s, but a very talented and smart guy. So it'll be interesting to see what the rest of his life holds for sure. I covered his career in junior high and high school. I'm going to call him a kid. I just, I, I really have a soft spot in my heart for Luke. Uh, seeing him grow up and Armand Johnson, Olaf Chiz in the area, kind of go head to head. Such a great age of high school basketball in Northern Nevada. Some of my Memories of Luke, he would win our Athlete of the Week award pretty much every other week. You just had to give it to him. And with that came a big sub sandwich, like a six-foot sandwich. 
And he always smiled about it because it was, yeah, my mom and dad really like this because this this feeds our Super Bowl party or this feeds our, our March Madness party or something like that. And But yeah, but last time I saw Luke, we were in New Orleans for the... Uh, the, for the bowl game and uh, and I, I stopped by uh, the uh, the smoothie king arena or whatever it was back then and and I was waiting outside the uh, the uh, the locker room and he came walking by and he looked and he recognized me and he said what are you doing here and I'm like we're here to talk to you I'm not here on the beat for New Orleans I'm here to talk to you and he's just very very humble very humble and you can tell that uh, comes from a great family and uh, you know we wish him all the best. All right, Mark Oglesby, I don't usually do this. I don't usually let someone ask you two questions, but this one, this this is worth two questions. So let's go with Mark's first question. With COVID bubbles, what would be your top three locations to be isolated while covering a sporting event? Now, that leaves a lot of uh, interpretation. You know, is it, okay, do you have to go to the Toronto NHL? Do you have to go somewhere for that? I'm going to leave it up to you. Where would you want to be bubbled to cover a sporting event i, I kind of took out the sporting event part uh, and just kind of three places i want to go to uh one is maui which uh, i'm actually planning on going to in july hopefully uh getting my vaccine my first vaccine shot today so that'll be uh that'll be nice hopefully i'll be fully vaccinated in a couple of weeks uh my second one is san diego one of my favorite cities obviously there's a lot of people there so that might not be the best choice and the third one is a place i've actually never been but i've heard is great myrtle beach all of those are beach towns, obviously. So I figure if I can go to the beach and stay away from people and being safe. Uh, have you ever been to Myrtle Beach? I, I hear it's great for golf and it's great for, you know, I, I really haven't been out to the south all that much. Great for golf and great for beaches. So yeah. place that I'd, I'd put on my list as well as a COVID bubble. I've never been to Myrtle Beach. My only time in Florida, uh, we, I went on a cruise out of Tampa. It was kind of a graduation gift to, to myself and um, went on a 10-day out of Tampa. And that's where I discovered my bubble place, which is Grand Cayman. I would I would bubble in Grand Cayman. I, I say Cabo San Lucas because it's one of my favorite places on the planet, but there's too many people. So I'd probably say Zihuatanejo on the Pacific coast of Mexico because there's great fishing. I love to go saltwater fishing and that sort of thing. And maybe I'd bubble somewhere in Alaska just to get away from people. You know, it's beautiful, incredible up there. I want to go on a cruise to Alaska. I've never been. My parents have, and they loved it. Um, so maybe Alaska. Uh, but then again, you and I both, we're on the water, wherever we are. I, I love the ocean. So, uh, But I don't live anywhere near an ocean. Um, all right. So Mark's second question, and neither one of these are sports related. This is how you get on this show, guys. Um, second question, with Oscar nominations coming out Monday morning, what are your top five movies of all time? And do you have a pick for best picture this year, Chris? Uh, I'll go with my best picture for this year. I, I'm going Sound of Metal. I've only seen two of the nominees, Sound of Metal and then Judas and the Black Messiah, which I watched over the weekend. Both are really good. I would uh, say watching either of them would be would be good. Sound of Metal is on Amazon Prime. Uh, it's a story about a heavy metal drummer who loses his hearing uh, and kind of the things that he goes through moving forward, trying to get back to that life because music is his life and he can't hear himself drumming. So really good story. Uh, Riz Ahmed, uh, who's a you know pretty, pretty good and popular actor is the lead in that. And he does a tremendous job. He's up for best actor. I think he's probably going to lose that to Chadwick Boseman because Chadwick passed away, but I, I think Riz did a tremendous job. So that's where I would go there. I do want to see Nomadland. Uh, that's on Hulu, which I also have, and that's based largely in Northern Nevada. So um, you know, that's a really cool story. And there's only really a couple of actors in that movie and the rest of them are just normal people from Empire Nevada. 
which is a tiny, tiny town in Northern Nevada. Um, so that'll be really, really fun one to watch. And I think that's what's gonna win. That's kind of what everybody is saying. As for my top five movies, I went number five, Titanic, number four, Lion King, number three, Shawshank Redemption, number two, Inglorious Bastards, and number one, Home Alone, because uh, I have to mention Home Alone every time we, we talk about movies. So those are my top five. What, what's maybe one movie that I didn't have in there that uh, you'd put in your top five? Uh, you know, um, I'm, I'm a Vietnam War historian buff because my, my father served uh, two terms over there, term half over there. Uh, Platoon, to me, is one of, the, one of those tragic movies that Honestly, it's heart-wrenching, and it's done so well. And Glorious Bastards is right up there. Everybody talks about Brad Pitt being in that. Uh, Christoph Waltz is brilliant in that movie. So Glorious Bastards is, is definitely one of the ones that, that I love there. But, uh, yeah, uh, some great, great picks. Come on, it's Home Alone. I mean, Home Alone is a classic. <laughs> you have to put that. You have to put that in. Murray's Mailbag, every single Sunday, at by Chris Murray, if you want to join the conversation. We entertain all types of questions. and. Oh, you ask us something fun, you might make the show. Uh, coming up next here on NSN Daily, Niners spent a ton of money on one player. So far, Chris said he doesn't like maybe one signing. Let's see if he likes this signing. That's coming up after the break. Well, we've been following uh, the NFL free agency pretty closely all week. And uh, early this morning, the San Francisco 49ers uh, decided to make Trent Williams a very, very rich man. I mean, how about a six-year $138 million deal, Chris. He is going to be the highest paid offensive lineman in NFL history. Uh, the Kyle Juszczyk deal, we were kind of uh, on the fence on that because of just how much he has used offensively. You're talking about one of the best offensive linemen in the NFL here now. So uh, your thoughts on, on this deal? guy that they had to keep uh you know we'll see how much the contract actually pays out it's guaranteed at 55 million which is still a really really big number but these nfl contracts they could say it's worth a billion dollars is really what's guaranteed and in yeah. this case, it's a pretty good guarantee i know the chiefs were going hard after trent williams they're trying to improve their offensive line so um you know it was the most important player for the 49ers to re-sign and they got that done they also have re-signed jason barrett um, so I, I think now that he's in the fold, uh, I think you have to be happy as a 49ers fan. I mean, obviously you're putting a lot of money into one player who hasn't really played a lot of full-time seasons. I think last time he played full 16 games was 2013. So maybe a little bit of a question mark on that, but you don't get better at the left tackle position. So, uh, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo, whoever's going to be the quarterback for the 49ers moving forward has to be really happy that the blind side is going to be protected. I think this was a really, really good addition. Niners are also reportedly by ESPN going after Alex Mack, you know, an outstanding center. Um, yeah. Just real quick. Do you think the Niners, do you think it's going to be Garoppolo next year? Because now we're hearing that to Deshaun Watson, has narrowed it down to Denver and San Francisco as to where he would like to play. Well, the Texans have a say in that as well, yeah. right? They yeah. say, oh, you're going to be playing with us. Uh, you know, he's under contract for a few more years. I think it's Jimmy G. I would not be surprised if the 49ers trade up and try and get a, you know, first round quarterback and, and try and get somebody for the long-term future. But at this point, I mean, this is a team that's built to win now. So even if they do get a Zach Wilson or trade up and get somebody like that, a Trey Lance from North Dakota State, I still think Jimmy G is the, is the quarterback for this year, and he's going to have to prove that he can be healthy and he can be productive. If he goes out there and gets injured again, I think the 49ers say, okay, we got to move on after this season. So this is a huge year for Jimmy Garoppolo. I would not rule out them adding something at quarterback, but I don't see it being Deshaun Watson. I think Jimmy G is going to get at least one more last chance to show that he's the guy long-term. He's certainly getting paid like it. I agree with you. I think yeah, San Francisco, uh, I, I ideally being a 49er fan, I would like to see them trade up. I like what I've seen out of Zach Wilson. I don't know if they're going to be able to get up that high because his stock 
continues to rise, but uh, but we'll, we will see. Coming up next year on NSN Daily, a Mountain West Conference coaches. One has already left. One has been fired. A couple of others being wooed. What's going on? We're going to break that down next. Well, the coaching merry-go-round in the uh, men's college basketball uh, arena continues to move in the Mount West. Of course, we've seen a firing and a hiring at New Mexico pretty quick. T.J. Alsoberger's moved on. We'll get to that in a moment. But uh, some Power 5 jobs opening up, Chris, and some Mount West names being thrown around. It would be a very dangerous offseason for the Mountain West. I think the Mountain West and basketball is set up to have a lot of future success. I mean, they almost got four teams in the tournament this year. And I think when you look at Brian Dutcher at San Diego State, Steve Alford at Nevada, Greg Smith, Craig Smith at Utah State, Nico Medved at Colorado State, Leon Rice at Boise State, I think this is the best set of coaches the Mountain West had in basketball in almost a decade. Now, the downside of that is that we've seen the Minnesota job open and Medved, uh, Dutcher, and Craig Smith are all from Minnesota. Two of those guys are alums of Minnesota and Dutcher's dad coached Minnesota for a year. And then you look at the Utah job, which opened yesterday, and they're going to look at Craig Smith. They're going to look at Nico Medved. Um, it'd be really disappointing if the Mountain West lost a couple of these guys to power five jobs. And it really hasn't happened all that much in basketball since the conference was formed in 1999. There's only been five guys who have coached in the league and then gone on to a power five job, Alford and Eric Musselman, two of those. So if they were to lose three to that cycle this year with TJ Altsberger already going to Iowa state, I think that'd be a really bad development because continuity is so important at that mid-major level. And I think what the mountain West has right now is really, really good. Just can they keep those coaches in place long-term with a couple of very lucrative jobs open that I think are going to be highly sought after among these Mountain West coaches. It's an attractive thing. You know, I mean, coaches want to move up and want to test the waters at that higher level. Uh, just under a minute left to go in this segment. Uh, TJ Altsberger, as you mentioned, uh, moving on to uh, Iowa State, a position that he's very, uh, coach, uh, a staff or place that he's very, very familiar with. Um, that UNLV job, it's going to be a pretty attractive job, though, right? Still, still is, right? I think it's the second best job in the Mountain West behind San Diego State. The fan base is usually strong. You have very good facilities. Their practice facility is not that old. Thomas and Mac is where the tournament's held every year. It's still got a bit of a national brand. So we'll see how much they're willing to spend. But I think they'll end up with a good coach or at least a good pool of candidates. We'll see if they end up picking the right coach. Yeah, that, that's the big thing is, is it the right fit for what you have, your staff or who's you going to bring in, the players that you have? re-recruiting and having to bring guys back. That's what Coach Alford had to do, is basically re-recruit his entire team. We'll be right back to wrap things up here on NSN Daily right after this. Well, we're out of time here on NSN Daily. Coming up uh, tomorrow's show, T.J. Bruce, Wolfpack uh, head baseball coach, will join us kind of previewing the uh, Fresno State Series, tell you what the fans' situation is going to be at Piccoli Park, Nevada, with a three-game series against Fresno State. Doubleheader Saturday, single one on Sunday. And Rail City Todd will join us. Of course, we'll talk a little NCAA tournament betting. For Chris Murray, I'm Brian Samudio, Anthony Resnick running the show behind the scenes. We'll see you next time.